Lord God, because we've been here and attended to your word, please, by the power of your spirit, give us grace to tell the world of Jesus. Amen. Do please sit. And do please open your Bibles once again. And I want to jump into the middle of the story we've had today. The, um, as the, the preamble from Simon told us, if you were here last week, you heard the story of the, the healing of uh, a blind man at the gate, the beautiful gate of the uh, temple in Jerusalem. Uh, Peter and John have been arrested, and this... Uh, in uh, verse 17 that I'm going to... Well, I suppose let's, let's have a bit of uh, 16 as well. Uh, this is what the rulers, the teachers, the elders, the uh, uh, rulers, elders, and teachers of the law in Jerusalem are saying about it. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they've done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Well, that's where we're really going to be at the beginning and at the end and for most of the middle of our time this morning. We don't mind the miracle, but do stop going on about Jesus. Why is the name that we adore so offensive. Think of the songs we've sung this morning. Why does someone want to kill a boy in Bethlehem? I guess it's happened before. Children in Bethlehem. Why is the name we adore so offensive? Well, because it stands against us. Peter and John are quite clear when they're talking to the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law. You crucified him. That's enough in that world for the name of Jesus to stand against them. But why us? Well, we meet those who tell us that Jesus is a good man, he's a good teacher. But why is there so much offense in the name Jesus? Well, isn't it partly this, that as we sang, you call us by name. If we call him by name, there's a relationship. And people hear a relationship just in the using of the word Jesus. And when they hear a relationship, they know that there is a gap. That even to use the name is a claim on the relationship. A relationship established because we think we've been saved from sin and that Jesus is the giver of life. You crucified him, says Peter, but God raised him from the dead. Exactly the same issues. We are involved in his cross because we are sinners, but God has raised him from the dead and we have new life. To speak the name of Jesus is to make those claims about this man. I had a a man I became friends with. He was my um, vicar when I was at university. And he used to go out into one of the, the public spaces Uh, around the city, and he would stand on a box. And I don't want anyone to think this is speaking in tongues, uh, but this is just pretty much what he would say. (laughs) 
And he would do that for about five minutes until a crowd gathered, because it was utterly fascinating. And then he would start to preach the gospel. And he said the crowd would stay in place. And it was amazing what you could get a crowd to stay in place for. Till you said Jesus. You could tell the story of what God had done, of the problems that beset our world, but there was something about the name that sent people on their way. And the apostles were, according to our story today, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, there were those amongst those listening who did not believe in any resurrection from the dead, let alone Jesus. They were called the Sadducees. Sue Beverly, why were they sad? They didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus because they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, and they were sad, you see. The great, the old ones never die, do they? It's great. That's how you remember something about the Sadducees. They didn't believe in any kind of resurrection of Jesus. But Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and says to them, this miracle is, quote, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. He faces them with their sin, but God has raised. He is the giver of life. Well, good things happen in the world, mercifully. Here in Jerusalem... It has been a miracle. Perhaps it's worth remembering that when there are riots in Jerusalem, there is still a church that has prayer going on inside it. And that good stuff could be anything that lies in the week ahead of you. This same Peter goes on in his letter to advise us to live good lives among the pagans. Well, let's do that. Let's live good this week. Let's pray. Let's, by all means, have a few miracles. Tell me about them. That would be good. Good stuff happens. I've got a young friend who uh, has been working in a law firm. And the firm has lots of cases from the entertainment world. There's some awkward issues going on about the privacy of celebrities who've not been careful with photos of themselves, usually taken early in their career in which they don't have many clothes on. And the law firm is preparing for a number of cases, and my friend was tasked with going through enormous numbers of nude photographs in preparation for the work. He said no. He was fired. There is a witness in the world when good stuff happens, when we are living good lives among the pagans. And it is genuinely good. I heard before the service of of a healing that had happened not long back. And I don't know how much prayer was going on. I remember that I prayed. There is good stuff. And in the week ahead, consider what your week holds and where you can make good things happen. But it's not enough. It's necessary, but it's not sufficient. 
The authorities in Jerusalem, after all, will not mind when good things happen. They don't mind the miracle. We can't deny it, they say. It's outstanding. I love the idea when they say that of all the miracles we've seen in the last few months of Jesus operating near Jerusalem, this one, this is outstanding. Well done, Jesus. I don't suppose they mean that for a moment. They just mean it's an outstanding event. We, we can't deny it. It's good stuff. But we just want these guys to stop speaking the name, verse 17. And as my minister friend found in speaking in public, people will be curious, they will be engaged, they will be genuinely interested in all that we have to say by way of good stuff. And that is a part of what we have to do and to be. And there will be all of that until the name. Because the name brings confrontation. The name speaks of sin and of death and life in ways that I can only guess we will one day find that the Holy Spirit just inhabits this name. To speak the word, Jesus, is to speak of how God has acted in the world. The writer to the Hebrews says that the living word of God is like a two-edged sword that divides. And we, when we speak the name of the living word of God, Jesus, it is never without reaction. Where God is so pleased, there are those that hear it, and it will bring life. 5,000 heard the word of God that day, we are told, in Jerusalem, and responded and found life. But there are others who hear it, and it cannot bring death, but bring death. And that will be expressed in negative reaction. It divides between life and death. And the first question, therefore, today, and the biggest question probably, is the quality of our witness. Life is demanding and draining. It is hard just to get through the week. And to come to church and to be reminded of this factor of witness can feel like another thing to do. But I take heart from the fact that it's not my reminder. It comes from the Word of God. So the first question is the quality of our witness. There is good things, good stuff, yes, but also the name of Jesus. Again and again in in pastoral practice, I find that church people say to me that their own witness consists of good stuff. Well, good. They have stories to, to tell of how they have lived good lives among the pagans. Good. And of course, we are not at work or at college, or school, or in our families, to cause hostility. And so within the limits of what is available to us, we may have to stop there. But we need to remember that unless a more personal opportunity for personal conversation is taken, 
the message, the gospel, the good news is not complete without the name of Jesus. These elders in Jerusalem help us. I'm sure it's why it's recorded. They define our job for us. Good stuff and the name of Jesus. The message includes the name. Just heard of, of a guy, young guy, who is potentially facing death. And it is true that there are religions in the world where if someone converts to follow Jesus, you are supposed to hold a funeral service for them because they have left this life. The message includes the name of Jesus. When you want to think about living good lives among the pagans, when you want to think about the shape of your week, each one of us can usefully think, what is it I want to say about this, this my friend, Jesus, for whom I would live, but because of whom many in this world will die? If you want joy in your Christian life, it may well be because you've opened your mouth to speak the name of Jesus and you have searched for circumstances in which to proclaim the name of Jesus. Not just the good stuff, though that is vital too. Not just the good stuff you've experienced, the good life that you've lived, the the ways you know that life is different, but the name of Jesus, what he has done. He's turned you from death to life. He's taken your sins and nailed them to his cross. And I'm very specific because I think of the experience of my friend in Oxford preaching all those years ago. We can escape from lots of pressure by speaking of God, even of the Son of God, even if you're particularly highfalutin, the second person of the Holy Trinity, even of Christ. But when you speak the name Jesus, they know that you know him, and they know you're claiming he knows you. Well, what happens once they have warned these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Well, of course, Peter and John replied, push off. Um, Well, not quite that, but it amounts to that. And then Peter and John are released, and they go to their own people. And the story unfolds with prayer and with shaking. If you find it easier to remember, think of trust and tremor. There is prayer, and it goes through from verse uh, 24 through to verse 30. But what a prayer. It begins in declaration, Sovereign Lord, you did stuff. You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit. You did stuff. You did amazing things. 
But it's declaration. You haven't asked for anything yet. It's just this is who you are. We are rehearsing for our own benefit the reminders of how great you are, O God, in whom we trust. It is not surprising, therefore, that when we remember the words of your servant, our father David, uh, we are reminded that uh, even the mighty will uh, be overthrown, will will, will oppose themselves to your purposes and then be overthrown. And indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate and the others, they're, they're in exactly the same situation, O God. And we declare before you that the God who has done these things, if you made heaven and earth and sky, you can deal with a couple of rulers. And then they turn to prayer. And what would you pray? I'd pray protection. I'd pray for a great big concrete umbrella to protect me. And then in verse 29, they say, Now, Lord, they've declared what God has been up to. And they say, Now, Lord, consider their threats and protect us. No, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They turn from declaring what God has done to asking boldness to declare what Jesus has done. And what happens after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Well, in any congregation, there are going to be those who like verses 26 through to verse 30, and there are going to be those who, or 24 through to 30, and there are going to be those who like verse 31. And it would seem to me that it's quite difficult to separate them. They asked for boldness. And what was the result? Boldness. I have nothing more to say. Let's pray together. Lord God, Jesus is a name before which hearts melt and other hearts harden. We are before you this morning as your people. Melt our hearts again afresh with the knowledge of your Son, Jesus of all that he has done for us in creation, in redemption, in sending your spirit, where our hearts may have grown hard, melt them, we pray. Refresh the hearts of those who come before you in prayer this morning. And there is really no more to say than the prayer of Peter and John and their people in Jerusalem that day and the answer that you gave. We cannot face 
alone the drama of life and death in Jesus. We need your Holy Spirit. We face the week ahead. We would love there to be a little bit of help to get us through Monday, perhaps a bit more to get us through Tuesday. Really, it would be quite good if you could just work something quite special on Wednesday. But we need Jesus. May he rest in our mouths as we speak and live the good stuff that constitutes our witness and be pleased to use his name as the sword that brings both death and life to those around us. And if that is the great, big, scary option in front of us this morning and every morning, then what else can we pray for but for boldness to speak the word of God? Fill us with your spirit, we pray, and raise up the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.